Thank you, Daniel. That is very good to know. But if staying here means working within ten yards of you, frankly, I'd rather have a job wiping Saddam Hussein's ass. Oh, you just got him. That was good. Because that was before Saddam Hussein was dead. Yeah. Good job, Bridget. Welcome to the Cinema Psych Podcast, the podcast where psychology meets film. I am your host, as always, Dr. Alex Swan, and we are going to dive back into recent history with this new episode. In this episode, we are going to talk about the 2001 rom-com hit. Bridget Jones's Diary. Yep, that Bridget Jones's Diary that spawned what two, one or two? Uh, yeah, Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason, and then uh, Bridget Jones's Baby. So The Edge of Reason uh, came out, and it still had Hugh Grant in it. Um, Bridget Jones's Baby replaced Hugh Grant with uh, uh, McDreamy. Patrick Dempsey. There we go. That's the name I wanted. McDreamy. Yeah. So a trilogy for Renee Zellweger's Bridget Jones. Yep. She does a British accent three in three different movies. I do have to say, though, it's not that bad. It's not great. Like it's not Colin Firth or Hugh Grant, but it is it's not bad. Now, the movie was directed by Sharon Maguire. Not familiar with this name, but, you know, she did a pretty good job on, like, creating a cohesive narrative. The writers of the movie, Andrew Davies and Richard Curtis, wrote the screenplay and is based on a Helen Fielding novel. And as I said, Renee Zellweger, uh, main character, Colin Firth, Mark Darcy. Hugh Grant, Daniel Cleaver, and then a bunch of randos here and there. Um, there are a few names that you would have seen in other movies. So Jim Bronbent plays Bridget's dad, and uh, Salman Rushdie plays himself. I don't know if you heard about what happened to Salman Rushdie, though, uh, recently. He got stabbed. Wild story. Um... One of the things that I was interested in seeing is that Shirley Henderson plays one of Bridget Jones's friends, Jude. She played Moaning Myrtle in The Chamber of Secrets, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. I was like, whoa, it's that person. Holy crap. In any case, we are going to be talking about Bridget Jones's diary, that silly little diary that Mark Darcy read. And you were like, oh, no. He's going to walk out on her. And then all he was doing was buying her a new diary. Aww. But if but apparently something happens, which, 
you know, creates the need for Bridget Jones's The Edge of Reason and then Bridget Jones's Baby. And it's like, <gasps> Colin Firth, what is going on? Oh, my goodness. So a brief, brief summary before we jump in with our guest host today. Bridget Jones plays a um, woman and according to one user, a quote unquote average woman struggling with all of the demands of British society at the time in 2001. You know, this is internet, but not like internet, internet of like 2001, right? Or 2021, I should say. So she's running up against, and she doesn't have and has never had a really long-term boyfriend, and people are, like, making fun of her for that, and she ends up falling for her boss, which isn't great. We'll talk about that. And um, she uh, then realizes that a childhood friend of hers that her mother wants to set her up with, this is Mark Darcy, is actually into her and she realizes that she's into him and there's just this whole love triangle. Oh my God, love triangle. So we're going to jump into all of that stuff coming up here right now. Stick around. My guest host today is Dr. Jordan Waggy. Jordan is a cognitive psychologist at Avila University in Kansas City, Missouri, and she's been on the show and she's an awesome person. This is her fourth time on the show. Jordan, welcome back to the show. Hi. <laughs> you pronounced all the things right. I'm so impressed. You pronounce Waggy, Avila. Kansas City. I, was, yeah. I know. That one's the hardest of all of, all of them, right? <laughs> Kansas you, City. You knew it was in Missouri, which is like. Oh, yes. Kansas City, Missouri, yeah. as opposed to um, the other Kansas state. City, Arkansas. Yes. Yeah. That one. Kansas City, <laughs> Illinois. <laughs> So we are recording this a week before Halloween, and so this is not necessarily the Halloween episode because the movie's not about Halloween, but I was curious what your plans for Halloween are because I know you do have the kiddos. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, um, we're we going to take them trick-or-treating. We did it kind of easy this year. We got their costumes a little early. They're both going to be Ghostbusters. Nice. Yes. So we got these little, um, you know, despite despite Ghostbusters' terrible portrayal of the field of psychology, um, <laughs> which is not my only complaint about that movie. Believe it or sure, not. Sure, sure. That'll be on the show. That'll be on the show eventually. Someday that would be a good Halloween episode. Um, it would. Yeah. So it's not. It's not a very fat phobic movie, though. So I think that that it has it that has that going for it. Uh, Good. they, they got these costumes that they can like swap out the different name badges. So like one of them, like right away was Bankman, And then the other mm -hmm. one was like, oh, I want to say whatever Ernie Hudson's character was. It just like, Winston? what's his, it's the last names that are on these name badges. Um, uh, Winston Studem or yes. something like that. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I'm like, I, that's fine. I guess I'm like yeah somebody's gonna scream at their at their iphone or their android and be like it's this that's what his character name was because i don't think i got it right but it was it's it's Zed Zedamore. there we go yes got it oh no 
it was the one I well I'll look it up at some point but it's like it was the four Ghostbusters and he picked the one that like nobody knows so I don't know is he a hipster hard to tell (laughs) (laughs) did they come with proton packs yeah they're blow up and so and they like so funny (laughs) so I had to blow them up because I don't know like children's lungs are just like tiny they like hold like a (laughs) like like two ounces a half a of balloon whatever yeah. yeah just like a yeah not even like a tiny balloon and so so i'm and they were just taking forever and so i just grabbed their stuff and started blowing it up and then they want to play with their costumes like ev- every day so we do we have to leave them blown up but because we have cats we have to like put them <laughs> in a in a room and close the door so those <sighs> sneaky little f- pointy nails don't come and find them yeah oh man that would be devastating that would be devastating i i would imagine if i had that yeah i would just be crushed yeah 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 just get that tape and slap it on there that's what we it would there would be a duct tape holiday here i mean we would fix (laughs) it but it's like i don't want to have to do any more work for halloween and then so yeah so we're going to take them trick-or-treating and hit some houses around here that really do up the, you know, the, the scary decorations and stuff. And, um, and then Rich and I are going to check their candy for the, for razor blades, which yeah mm-hmm. isn't the thing. That, yeah. And fentanyl. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we really, I mean, if you haven't figured this out yet, like that's an excuse to just pick out the candy you like the most. Oh yeah. I, we don't even make an excuse. We just wait until they're in bed and then. Right. And then, yeah, I was, I was maybe like, 15 when i realized that they make like a vanilla version of tootsie rolls because i have (laughs) never seen them because my mom always stole them (laughs) (laughs) did she tell you this after i confronted her actually oh my gosh i did i was like to be a fly on the wall yeah yeah (laughs) i i think it i think like at one point I came, she ordered like a bag or something of those. And I'm like, I've never seen these before. And she said, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, like <laughs> I, I, I used to take those out of your Halloween candy. And, and, and I had one and I'm like, this is cruel. These are really good. I can't believe you stole these from me. So I'm just <laughs> trying to pay that forward a generation really. Unforgivable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. It is the way of the parent. It is the way of the parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of candy. Yeah. Let's pivot to our non-Halloween based movie. Speaking of candy, let's talk about Hugh Grant. <laughs> oh, am I right? Early, <laughs> late 90s, early 2000s Hugh Grant. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I must say, uh, young Colin Firth. Oh, he was yeah. doing it for well, me, too. I like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a little... Um, disheveled hair a little bit Mm -hmm, (laughs) he's mm -hmm. not he's not a barrister it's because he has they have to those barristers have to wear those um powdered wigs still yeah Yeah. do they really yes they do when they're in court they have to wear them isn't it wild that's kind of hot um women do not though it's only men men are the only ones who have to wear these powdered wigs which is such the the weirdest tradition that is although i am sad that uh the american legal system dropped that yeah. At some I mean, point. We could try to pass some ordinances, get that back. Yeah. Ordinances, then state laws, then federal laws. I- I'm with you. Yeah. So we um, we chose, well, you chose 
I um, did. Bridget Jones's diary because you have some thoughts, trademark. Um, <laughs> and so I wanted to get your th- broad thoughts on why you chose this movie first, and then we'll jump in to these specific things. And and listener, this is really important to note for this movie to use as a discussion point in classes or just in just general conversation. We're going to be focusing on the problematic things that are found in this movie. So yeah. there's not a lot of redeeming uh, quality to us 21. Oh, my God. 21 years later. Uh, Bridget Jones's diary is old uh, is old enough to drink in the United States. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yes. Just finding these old movies is fun. It's ridiculous. from 2001. It's I know. So funny. So what were your thoughts on choosing this movie? Yeah. Um, and, and I, I should also say that, you know, I'm going to talk about some things that are, um, related to eating disorders and fat phobia. And so, you know, if that's something that you're not in a space to hear, um, just, you know, sort of content warning here. Thank Um, you. Yes. That is one of my, one of my areas of scholarly interest is the presence of weight centered health ideals. So Mm -hmm. this idea that, your your health your health your weight is a good indication of your health but beyond that and i and i and i think a lot of this is really interesting from a cognitive perspective as well of like how do we you know how do we categorize these things how do we think about these things Mm -hmm. i'm also interested in the idea that that people seem to think that other people's health is their business to begin with and really i mean what what it's what it's come this is sort of a really broad introduction to the types of things I'm interested in, what it really comes down to is that um, weight is is a is a proxy for class and race and for the other sure. you know those other types of things. But I but I think you know there's a lot of media that you know is, is fat phobic and oh yeah um, quite a bit it, yeah just everywhere. So uh, you had asked me if I would be interested because you know I have this interest. Mm-hmm. Um, you asked me if I would be interested in in talking about a movie uh, like of my choosing and um, to, to talk about fat phobia within that movie. And the first couple of things that came to mind um, were I, two of what I think are the most obvious ones, which are Shallow Hal yep. um, and then the movie Wally, which mm-hmm. is Wally has some advantages over Shallow Hal in that it's it's like actually a decent movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> so. And, uh, but there is a a lot of fat phobia in that movie, but there's a, there's a podcast called maintenance phase that has just given Mm -hmm. a a, a really good treatment of both of those in their bonus episodes that you get access to if you're a Patreon subscriber for maintenance phase. And so, and these are like professionals, right? They're like, they, you know, they are like the, that's their job is talking about fat phobia and dissecting it and popular culture taking down wellness culture. So just randomly Bridget Jones diary popped into my head of like, that is the move that there are parts of that movie that really stand out to me Mm -hmm. as being very fat phobic. And, and I, and I also think I was interested in talking about it because I actually really enjoyed that movie. Like I am a full on like (laughs) rom-com. I love that stuff. I mean, I think it's, I'm embarrassed. I watched watching it again. I'm like really embarrassed that I liked it so much because yeah, woof. 
but um yeah yeah that's why i picked it excellent i mean it's a great choice actually regardless of of the the sort of third pony to the t- two movie two movies that you mentioned Chalo Howland and uh Wally which are are great movies to discuss this fat phobia idea um within and they might make them it to the show eventually in in many different ways i mean there's a lot of things we could discuss about Wally too and uh, not just the fat phobia even though it's there yeah um, I will say that when I first saw Bridget Jones's diary was about the, the, the same time as it came out, probably on rental, probably because my mom rented it uh, um, because I was a teenager at this point in my life and uh, I was not choosing these kinds of romantic comedies to watch. Um, but also to note on that. Um, none of these other things that I found now uh, regarding the fat phobia and these specific these specific scenes that we'll talk about, um, but also all of the other bad stuff that's in the really problematic stuff that's in this movie. So even though it may may not be the creme de la creme of of the fat phobia discussion, I think there's still worth it's still worth exploring 2001. Uh, United States, but also British uh, sensibilities on many of these subjects surrounding women. Right. Um, and it's 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 a great there are I don't have that many of these podcasts on here. I have a, a handful here and there. But this one sort of you, you get taken back to 2001. And you're like, yeah, that's kind of how it was. Yeah. Uh, and it's 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 like all of these things that I, you know, I didn't realize at the time I go back and rewatch them like, God, that did not age well. And like, once you see mm-hmm. it, you can't unsee it. So the other movies that were in contention were like any Disney movie, which because <laughs> right. Disney movies hate fat people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's a broad statement. A lot of Disney movies hate fat people. There's um, and then one of the one of the movies that keeps coming up or the harry potter movies and 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 sure. the, the harry potter movies also have a ton of other issues related to different types of phobias xenophobia and and then there's there are all you know there are the issues with jk rowling and her and her views um and her right. transphobic views as well so um but it's like it, it reading these things it's like i just sort of blindly ingested it you know i I go i go back and i watch episodes of gilmore girls which i like loved at the time Mm -hmm. and it's it wasn't that long ago i think it's probably around the same time probably like mid 2000s yeah that was really popular and like the you know the main characters are using the word gay to describe things that aren't good it's like it's like so it's like it's like yeah we that was a thing once that was something that 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 people did and and it was just part of the air we we breathed exactly come on Ed. i mean i know it's been awkward as ass but there's there's no need to leave no actually there is i've been offered a job in television television mm. and they want me to start straight away um so i've got to leave in about ooh three minutes so um well, just, just hold it right there, Miss Jones. 
I'm sorry to inform you, but I think you'll find that by contract you are expected to give at least six weeks' notice. Ah, yes, well, you know, I thought with the company being in so much trouble and all, you wouldn't really miss the person who waltzes in in a see-through top and fannies about with the press release. Ah, uh, so let's jump into this fat phobia. So, um, Jordan, I'm going to ask you to define sort of more in, in simple academic terms, let's say, what fat phobia is and how it how it um, manifests in popular culture, like Bridget Jones's Diary, and then we'll 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 pick at some some scenes and some portrayal. Yeah, for sure. So fat phobia, you know, would just be anything that connects being fat to being bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, having biases, it can it can be very sort of low level, like just. maybe assuming assuming that a person uh, doesn't work out because they are fat or that um or assuming that they want to lose weight or and then there are like these big sort of macro level this these things have like you know a call saying that fat people are lazy or that fat people Mm -hmm. are you know cognitively different somehow than than you know what the industry, <laughs> this area kind of struggles with what to call people who, who aren't fat. And, and some people say people in smaller bodies. Some people say straight sized. Um, straight sized. Interesting. Straight sized. Yeah. That is the, the last, the last time I could, I looked it up and, and skinny is also considered kind of derogatory. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So, so I, I tend to stick with, you know, people in smaller bodies and I, and I also, okay. I guess I should say freely use the word fat. Um, I, I identify as a fat person, which is something that, um, if I'm on a podcast, other people might not, uh, yeah, might not know, true. look me right, up on Facebook you. and you can look at my, my user picture of me riding a springy horse <laughs> and you'll, you'll see what I look like. And I think um, that, I think that, but just to pause on that one for a second, I think that gives, um, good positionality for you to talk about this stuff, right? Because yeah. there's a lot there that. Uh, a thinner person would not per- a person in a smaller body would not readily recognize because they are not the target of the phobia right oh yeah and there are a lot of things i don't recognize that i'm still sure you know but I, but i also it does it, it doesn't occur to me that like somebody listening might not know that sure. I, yeah and, and i and the way i kind of talk about fatness sometimes i think might might be a little off-putting to somebody who who you know lives in the society and who is picturing this podcast picturing me as like a straight size person or a person in a smaller body straight size straight size i, is, I, I is have odd. to yeah. i have to pause on this one is that like because trees like grow st- straight up no I, I, I think it's more like middle of the normal curve type of i don't think it's like straight like oh, a rail okay. i think it's straight like not that <laughs> I mean, that was a genuine question. I, I am, I am actually yeah, confused yeah. by the etymology of this term. I don't um, really know very much about it. I, just, I, um, in the type of work I do, I don't often have, I don't often talk about people who who aren't fat. So it's a good question. Yeah, because you're you're writing about um, how to, from the perspective of the larger individual, right? Well, so, yeah, yeah. In media, what are the kinds of common tropes that 
we can readily identify it now, right? If we we look back at a movie like Bridget Jones's Diary, what are the things that typically? Uh, what are the ways in which it typically manifests? Yeah, I mean, tying self worth to to weight is is just a huge one. So mm-hmm. you know, somebody feeling really good about themselves when they've lost weight, and, and this is a, a real struggle because. Yeah, this is probably the most common conversation I have with people who are like earnestly like they want to be less fat phobic, but they don't know how. Mm -hmm. And and I'll say things like, well, you know, maybe don't congratulate people when they've lost weight. And they'll say things like, well, what if they're really working really hard to do that? And I want to acknowledge that. And I'm like, it's like you're asking me what I think. And I think I think saying something like, I know you're working hard. You look you you seem very happy. You seem very healthy. It is fine. But this, the praise that you get for losing weight is, is pretty damaging. It equates, Mm -hmm. it, it, it equates like a good feeling with the shape of your body and it, it makes you want to do those things more. But then also we know that people who lose weight gain weight back almost all of the time and saying like, there are blatant things that people do when they say like, oh, you know, you look so much better. You're looking really good. It's mm-hmm. it's an implicit comparison to how they used to look before they lost the weight, and so when they weigh that again, it can be very shameful for people. Yeah, um, I can. Yeah, I can see that. So, so that tying that tying of the um, of the self worth to losing the weight is is probably like she's very proud of herself when she's lost the weight. She's feeling like, and she's got what she's like. It says at the beginning she has like ten pounds to lose, um, and and it's not you know, it's at least it's not because she wants to be healthier or live longer because that's, you know, another kind of myth about, about weight is that it's not as connected to health as we think it is, but it is to attract the attention of like, you know, this Daniel Cleaver guy who's, it's to attract the attention of anybody. Like, yeah, that's, that's pretty fat phobic. Yeah, I agree. Um, so yeah, let's jump into let's jump into this um, because this is two this is classic two thousand one f- for me. Um, so we first hear about a lot of this through Bridget's diary sort of self narration. Oh, I would say half the movie is like her narration, mm-hmm. um, and the narration is supposed to be what she's writing down in her diary. Mm-hmm. hence the title of the movie right um Ooh, i never so. put two and two together on that I'm no kidding. yeah well, <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> um and so the first thing that i picked up on uh as far as chronologically in the movie is when she arrives at her mother's house um and um her mother immediately makes a comment about her weight and then at a later uh, time when they meet, she makes another comment about not only Bridget's weight, but other people that she knows, other people that Bridget's mother knows, and just like doing a size comparison kind of thing. And it's just, yeah. it's it's like really blatant how much commenting this woman does on other people's bodies. When I mean, she should you know stop cheating on her husband. Maybe I don't know. 
<laughs> yeah, their relationship is a whole. Like, first of all, who cheats on Horace <laughs> Slughorn? No. Um, so right. So that is a that is a, a giant a giant mess, and I I, I kind of think that that affair is a, another throwback to Pride and Prejudice because I think the movie was kind of a you know ha- has its plot loosely based on Pride and loosely has its plot based on Pride and Prejudice. Yes, I think that's what the um, novel was going for there, modern day Pride and Prejudice. But this is, you know, this is, that's how normal, like I can share so many things with, I look, I started going to Weight Watchers meetings in 1989 when I was nine years old. Uh, Oh boy. Yeah, that was that. I really started in when I was 26, Mm -hmm. uh, going through a divorce, you know, like it was the mid 2000s. It was like prime diet culture time and i i remember like really getting along well with people i went to weight watchers with and like we would be out in public and like we would see a fat person and like this one person used to like nudge me and then you know sort of nod toward just somebody who was just out living their life and like Mm -hmm. like they just wanted me to acknowledge that yes there was a fat person there and it's it's like that's yeah just the total the total comfort people have in talking about other people's bodies and, and specifically marginalized people. Um, mm-hmm. Right. You know, fat people, women, you know, disabled uh, people mm-hmm. of color. It's, it's like, it's the, the more objectified you can be, the more people think it's just their business that you can talk about their bodies that way. Like it's just their body is your business. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, the reality show culture that was spawned in the, you know, the, the 2000s, Ugh. like The Biggest Loser. This is the podcast I'm planning. Have I told you about this? Yes. You okay. mentioned it the other day, which is why I wanted to bring it up. Yes. And it, you know, <laughs> it, I, I'm planning on it. It's a slow burn, but I'm, I want to have a podcast where we just watch every single episode of The Biggest Loser in order. And I have different guest hosts and we just tear it apart for how mm-hmm. horrible it is. Um, yeah, I mean, it would require watching The Biggest Loser, um, but which I, I already wanna, have, which but here here's the 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 point that I wanted to um, bring up with The Biggest Loser, the be, it being a problematic show um, uh, uh, quite a bit is the is the title of the show we are equating. Through connotation, right, the fact that loser has more than one meaning. Mm hmm. Somebody who is losing weight, right, via the show's central premise, which is a lot of exercise. Um, oh, and lots and, of other and, and lots of other problematic things stuff. and yes. dieting and all of that. Yeah, but with its other meaning, which is loser, being mm-hmm. a not you know a, a not winner. Whereas the biggest loser is technically the winner of the show, but we're trying to but but the the unstated double entendre of this Mm -hmm. episode is equating being a loser Mm -hmm. with being fat yeah i and i don't i don't even i don't even get caught on that because it's like well that's got to be like the least problematic thing in the entire show but i mean yes before you (laughs) it's i i think it's something to recognize before even watching the show of course yes for sure yeah i i mean and there is that implicit okay, so this person, all the people on the show are losers. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, the joke is like, they're not 
wrong. Like we know, we know that that's true of the way fat people are treated and marginalized. And like mm-hmm. the, some of my, I mean, people who are fat make less money and get fewer job offers. And, um, you know, parents of fat children pay less for them to att- contribute less to their children's college education. Uh, it It's like fat people are already losers because of the way, you know, we're marginalized. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so, so it's not, I guess it's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> you laugh though. <laughs> I laugh when I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm always uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so you you spotted um you spotted one which I didn't spot. Which one? What um portrayal of of fat phobia did you spot? Yeah, the exercise montage is like it is. I freaking love a good montage more than like there are movies that I like hated the entire mo- like. I didn't really love the movie Chasing Amy, but the montage that was in Chasing Amy, beautiful. I love a good time lapse. I remember the first montage I ever saw was like the montage, and and this is probably a movie we could spend a lot of time talking about, but in the movie Lean, is it Lean on Me? With the principal and the kids, and he had to like, okay. That's Morgan Freeman. Anyway, (laughs) I really love a good montage, like a good like self-improvement happens in the background, blah, blah, blah. So Mm -hmm. it takes a lot for me to criticize this specific montage. But this is like eating disorder central. At times like this, continuing with one's life seems impossible. And eating the entire contents of one's fridge seems inevitable. I have two choices. To give up and accept permanent state of spinsterhood and eventual eating violations or not and this time I choose not I will not be defeated by a bad man and an American stick insect instead I not intru- it's not this is not a health thing she's working out alone for unreasonable amounts of time specifically to lose weight like that is that is a, that is disordered behavior yeah that is and it, and it's it's very clear like they cut back to her on the bike I mean, that's what they did in The Biggest Loser was just putting people in gyms for a very long time until they had, you know, lost the weight that they needed to lose for the competition. So they cut back and forth to her in the gym multiple times, like indicating she's just been there for a really long time. And it's it's so unhealthy. It's that kind of behavior toward yourself and your body and health is just bad. Yeah, she falls off the bike. She walks At off one the bike. Point. She oh yes, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Or she yeah, she she, she like tries off. to get off and then she falls falls over. Yeah. Because her legs are sore. Yeah. Um the the uh the folks at, at Peloton are all constantly saying after you do like a you know a, a, a long ride, we'll say, you're not sp- always spinning up like that if you're always moving your legs that fast you are going to um, lose your legs <laughs> but but they say but they say like if you've done once you've done a long ride like do not work out long uh longer than i don't know how to phrase it what they say is you know like don't use the bike as long as you cannot stand on your uh on your own two feet 
Like, do you know what I mean by that? Like, don't do it so long that you get off the bike and you immediately fall over. That's doing it too long. That's that's pushing yourself too long. Yeah, that that makes sense. And that's that's part of the problem is like we watch these shows like The Biggest Loser where we celebrate people. It's like there are people barfing. There are people passing out. There are people who are like obviously uncomfortable. And, And this whole there's this whole like shtick about, well, if it's uncomfortable, it, you know, you have to be uncomfortable, like doing things the way you've been doing them is what got you here. And you have to, you know, push through. And it's like, no, like what (laughs) the healthy thing to do is to listen to your damn body. That's Mm -hmm. the healthy thing to do. And if your body is telling you that something's not right, like something's not right. Um, But it's like the very next scene is just her being like very pleased with herself and like walking by her you know boss's office with the sheer shirt on like okay yeah I, like I nearly killed myself and not nearly killed myself but I overdid it on this bike but I'm super excited because I'm like slightly thinner and wow isn't that yeah, great slight, slightly thinner like yeah how are we even to judge look anybody who likes you more when you're less is not the one for you, honey. Oh, hundred percent agree with that. Hundred percent agree. You don't with have that. to make yourself smaller for anyone. <laughs> Indeed, listener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you tell them. You tell them, Jordan. You tell I'm them, like, eh? I'm like crocheting as I'm as I'm talking, and so you don't. Your listener isn't gonna have this visual, but I'm like something about crocheting turns me into, I don't know, just a foul-mouthed life coach. That sounds good. Yeah. We need more foul mouth life coaches. Yeah. I agree. So we just get you some yarn and some mm-hmm. crochet needles and yeah. And, uh, Maybe some carpal tunnel surgery in a couple of years. Yeah, that too. Yeah. A couple more, couple more um, things that I spotted, which I was like, oh, they did. They went there. They went, it's they went so fully bad. there. It's so um, bad. Was the uh, fire pole gaff. So Bridget, uh, leaves her job with, and we'll talk about why she leaves her job in here in just a second. Um, but she leaves her job for a book publisher and ends up getting a job at like sort of a, a morning show puff piece kind of, uh, with the BBC or something like that. And is, she is asked to go on camera and slide down a fire pole. And I can't tell you, uh, and, and specifically wearing a miniskirt. She is specifically asked to wear a miniskirt. And so you can all tell where this is going. If you haven't even seen the movie, you should know what I'm trying to say here. The cameraman had an upskirt shot of her coming down the pole, but there was some miscommunication. And, well, she ends up sliding uh, her her bum coming down onto the cameraman. The camera. And the, I thought that was funny. That the was camera very British. Yeah, very British. Yep. Coming down onto the camera and the cameraman and Bridget herself in her diary calls it uh, her bottom the size of Brazil. Yes. Yeah. She's supposed to be sliding down the pole, not climbing up it. Go, 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 go. Okay. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, we're out of time. We're out of time. Just wind her up. 
that seems to be about all we've got time for down here in Lewisham. Uh, Chief Officer Bevan, thank you very much. Excellent fire station. Uh, and now, back to the studio. Excellent. And, national love. and that yeah. was the gaff to end all gaffs, even though she ends up making it up later, but still sort of mortifying, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not even, it's not even, it doesn't even become a sexual thing, uh, even though it was an upskirt shot. Um, she was wearing leggings uh, or tights or whatever they're called. Pantyhose? Pantyhose, there we go. Um, but the way that, she fell into the camera, obviously emphasized her posterior. And of mm. course that then makes the rounds and everybody's laughing and people are laughing at Bridget's expense as opposed to being mortified with her. Right. And there's quite a difference there. Yes. Yeah, it really is. And it's like this, you know, look, she wouldn't be in the situation if she hadn't been, you know, what, sexually harassed at her first job and yeah. then i mean the interview with the people she got the job with it's like in the interview the guy's like uh you know i just want you to know at this job you won't get fired for sleeping with the boss um she got hired because Super she slept gross. with the boss like yeah so so you know so she so why do you want to work in television I've got to leave my current job because I've shagged my boss. Fair enough. Start on Monday. We'll see how we go. Oh, and uh, incidentally, at Sit Up Britain, no one ever gets sacked for shagging the boss. That's a matter of principle. She she gets to this job where she has to, like, you know, wear this mini skirt and do this very suggestive thing. And then, you know, nobody's kind of empathizing with her. Nobody mm. empathizes with her. Not you know not even this like totally useless group of friends that she has that i think is is um yeah i've never seen i've never seen a movie work so hard against character development yeah right <laughs> with these three <laughs> and i'm like i'm i'm this I, there's some homophobia here as well with like the the token gay male friends sure. that they have in there and there's I mean, you know, while while we're we're on that topic, I I don't think there were any people of color in the entire movie. Um, yeah, so, I think so. I think you're right. But but he, he, like he did some very you know predictable. I forget what his name was. I kept thinking about him as Gaius Baltar in Battlestar Galactica. Um, because that's well, that's, I I could only see like, Moaning Myrtle in one of her friends because yes, that was the woman who played Moaning Myrtle. Yes, that was Moaning Myrtle. Yeah. yeah, so I I agree. I I hundred percent agree that these people were there to for Bridget to bounce ideas off, but to also reinforce all of the negative things that society demands of women. So we'll get in. We'll we'll jump into that that stuff um, after a quick break. Hey friends, Astrid here. You may know me from such films as Crazy Rich Asians, White Oleander, or How to Train Your Dragon. Wait, 
what, what was that? I wasn't in those. I wasn't in those. Okay, that wasn't me. Ooh, okay, well. Astrid here. You may know me as the other half of your favorite podcast host, Dr. Alex Swan, and I'm here to shout out listeners like you. Thanks for supporting the pod, whether that's buying merch, sharing episodes on social media, or making donations. You can visit cinemasightpod.swansight.com to get your hands on previous episodes, or if you're like me, just another hoodie because we live in the Midwest. We appreciate you. Now, back to the show. We are back with Dr. Jordan Waggy uh, talking Bridget Jones's diary. And so I wanted Jordan to jump into some of the other problematic things um, in this movie, which were, uh, we'll just, I mean, you mentioned it before the break, which was uh, the sexual harassment. Uh, but that's just one, that's just one of the things that I spotted, right? So there's just misogyny all throughout the movie. There's also um, coupled with, Lots and lots of sexism, both in and out of the workplace. And then the sexual harassment, like the full on sexual harassment. Daniel Cleaver would have been so screwed by the Me Too movement. I mean, do you think so? Like, I just I feel like people still get away with that stuff. I don't know. I feel like, you know, it would have been a whole because he was the editor in chief. I feel like it would have been the would have been a whole like Matt Lauer thing. Yeah, I guess maybe. And maybe then only because his, you know, his prey was an attractive. Thin white woman, right? Would he would he have been like if he had been targeting, you know, more marginalized people than. He, well, I he think it, I think it's actually more that she was uh, an employee. That's where yeah. I'm coming from with the Me Too. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. The the more of the that's why I, I specifically mentioned Matt Lauer because uh, he did it with like interns and and stuff at NBC, Ugh. right? Ugh. Um, so I that's that's where I I think it comes stems from and and her come her clap back at him when she quits. You know, I'd rather wipe Saddam Hussein's ass. Uh, <laughs> I forgot about that. It was so good. It's obviously a dated joke. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's Saddam Hussein guy. He's going to be around for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two years later. <laughs> Two years later. <laughs> they weren't worried about longevity with that movie. Did you, I don't did think you, so. Did you not, like, get so uncomfortable with all the smoking they were doing inside? Oh, my God goodness all of the smoking like the first scene is like chimneys all over the place yeah like, at that yeah. party and i was like yeah. oh my god oh my god all these yeah. people have lung all these people have lung cancer no just like smoking inside i'm like you can't do, do that like i i'm old enough to have been on a smoking flight <laughs> you know like yeah a, transatlantic flight that had a smoking section which is just the most ridiculous thing like here, you sit in this portion of the tube, and you sit in this other portion of the tube. And there will no be, there will no, uh, there will not be any cross air whatsoever. Yes, and it's, <laughs> but it's still, it's just so things have changed so much, culture has changed so much so quickly. So you know, and the smoking is the least of it. But that party, I just, 
I just was itching the entire time. I mean, like the handsy uncle that wasn't her uncle. Yep. The, you know, she's, she gets, she's getting groped. She's getting, you know, her self-worth is getting equated with her. And here's the thing, right? Like (laughs) I just like set down my crocheting because I'm getting ready to say some real stuff. (laughs) She's what? She's 32. You know, like I get wanting to partner up with somebody like I, I am somebody who really enjoys having a partner and, Mm -hmm, um, and it, and it, and it, it works out well because this, this partner is a really good one. (laughs) Um, the first one, maybe not so much, but, um, (laughs) so I, I get that, but, but the sadness, like I'm watching this movie and, and yeah, these, these friends of hers may not have, have had a lot of character development, but this woman has a very rich social life. Oh yeah. She's out with people all the time. And I'm like, and I'm like, dang, I, you know, she's singing, I think at the beginning of the movie all by myself and, and crying. And it's like, you're, you know, you are not all by yourself. <laughs> like your dad is all by himself. Like that poor guy. That poor guy is having some struggles. That guy can do so much better. I was really hoping he wouldn't take her back. Yeah. Yeah. I know, but the heart wants what the heart wants, you know? Yeah, he settled. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I am ambivalent, although I know that he was he was hurting. And she is she does play a a uh a character that does not actually act. It's sort of out of character for Bridget to help him in that situation because we don't see her operate in that way. We're just hearing her whine and mope about not having a partner of her own. Right. When all she really interacts with are like these very tropey men who, and tropey and gropey, uh who good good i see what you you did there i like that i appreciate that yeah um and this like weird social class of i i suppose you know turn of the millennium british middle class i suppose where they have these dinner parties and are like oh what is it like to be over 30 and without a partner bridget hmm that was really good, Alec. Thank you. And and I just, I'm just like, can't you guys talk about anything else? No. Apparently not. And I and I and I hate it. Yeah. Um. I mean, have you ever been to any of those terrible parties? No. And I'd like to think that it's because I had a better sense of who to hang out with. Have you yeah. been to those kinds of parties? I mean, yeah, you know, a middle, 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 upper middle class holiday parties, and you know, um, I guess I've never been upper middle class. And, well, <laughs> you're not. You're, you know, I can give you my journals from the time. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, like, Diaries. I have no regrets, but. But yeah, like I was what I would consider as like a pretty interesting, you know, high, high achieving kid. Like I, 
had I was on like the math team when mm-hmm. I was in middle school and like won competitions and like I did some cool stuff. Like there were cool things I did, but I remember at, at these like adult functions I would go to. I mean, I, well, I was like 16 or 17, you know, mm-hmm. most of the family friends or whatever would ask like pretty predictably like about boyfriends and. Oh, of you? Yeah. Specifically of you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's like, that's, you know, so it, it it's like, I totally related to that. Um, it's, it's like, you know, they're, they're older and they're thinking to themselves, what, what types of things does a young person think about? i'm like that's just the the only thing that i mean i don't remember being asked asked about you know school beyond like what are you thinking about majoring in college or Uh uh-huh okay you know tell me about what your job is like or you know just i i people that's the kind of small talk that people made at functions like those it's like i think there i think there's a gender difference there because i mean i i suppose my experience with those kinds of gatherings would have been with family because my mom's side of the family is um, very large. And so when we had big gatherings, it would be just cousins and uncles and aunts and everything like that. I never got asked about girlfriends or that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, um, you're, um, you know, I'm a man. man. You're a man, man. Yeah, and and you're you're allowed to have more than more than one thing about you. You're allowed but to also, be multidimensional. Yes, a multidimensional um, can can do can walk and chew gum at the same time, mm-hmm. and can you know much like Daniel Cleaver have two women at the same time, mm. and not you know feel bad about that. And how he ended up treating Bridget in that sense, and then trying to come back and like I can't think about anybody but you. <laughs> that was that was really good. <laughs> Thank you. Really you're just proud. gonna be. I'm just gonna do a British accent for the rest of the show. Oh, and was that a British like, accent? Wow. <laughs> You you had that one in the barrel. You had that one. You were it was it was cocked and ready to I go. I didn't. I'll mail you an aloe plant. Oh, for the burn. For the burn. Mm, thank you. You're welcome. I will let it grow and flourish. <laughs> You're gonna kill it immediately. <laughs> no, that's that's something Astrid would do. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Any other uh, uh, misogyny, sexism, sexual harassment that you spotted in the movie, Jordan? Oh, God, so many. I mean, so many. The the first of all, this poor woman that Colin that Mark Darcy was dating. And I already forgot her name because we're not supposed to remember her name. Right. Because she's supposed to be like. The frigid. You know, oh, so frigid competition first of all mark darcy is played off like he's the good guy he is together at this dinner party with this woman who is like what because she has a sexual successful did i say sexful Mm -hmm. i mean it's probably true (laughs) a successful career and she's you know she's portrayed as being like super frigid and Mm -hmm. and whatever it's like 
okay like that's kind of a trope that's annoying mark is at this dinner party with her when when he tells bridget that he likes her like i'm sorry no that's i I wanted to tell you i wanted to tell you that i like you just the way you are that's my best colin firth that's the best you're gonna get from colin from colin firth tonight um i i don't know how to respond to that (laughs) just just the way you are bridget bridget (laughs) please Please don't ever do that again. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's what he said. Yeah, that's terrible. It's like, and and then they end up getting together. What like the the day? At, I mean, what happens to this poor woman? She's just she's just there to look not fun. Like you can't be a woman that's more than one thing. You can't be a woman that's you know both flawed and interesting. And serious about her career, it's like, yeah, you can only be you can only be one. Uh, and and I would say the filmmaking decision, um, for that is so you don't root for this woman, you root for Bridget to get Mark Darcy, uh, and 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 so she doesn't end up with Daniel. Although I have to say, I have not seen. Edge of Reason, which is the follow-up. It's so bad. Even worse. I haven't seen it recently, um, but I saw it several years ago. And then there's a third movie. Yes, but Hugh Grant's not in that one. But Patrick Dempsey is. He was replaced by Patrick Dempsey, who is the, you know, the the sexier man at the time, right? But, of course, Colin Firth returns as Magnassi. I don't know what you were trying to do there. But I, I really, you, that was a really good, that was a really good try. Thanks. I'm really um, proud of you. You're getting out there. You're talking like Colin Firth. But, I mean, she's, so, she ends up in this triangle, and, yeah, uh, Colin, or uh, Mark Darcy punches out Daniel. Yes. And um, I, for stealing I really, his wife. Yes. This is, this is the only good part of the movie. <laughs> Sure. Actually, I will. I I take. I, I I would say my favorite part of the movie. Um. Uh, so that's that is number one for me. But there is a second part, which is um. Her trying to announce the book. Oh at God! The book party. Yes. And she was set up for failure from the start. Yes. Because <laughs> the freaking tagline of the book is like the best book of all time or something like that and of course like salman rushdie is there and some other guys there and she's like oh your books are great too mr rushdie and 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 yours too lord whatever yeah Uh, set up for (laughs) failure Sorry, the uh, mic's not working. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the launch of Kafka's Motorbike, the greatest book of our time. 
obviously, except for your books, Mr Rushdie, which are also very good. And Lord Archer, yours aren't bad either. <clears throat> anyway, uh, what I mean is, uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for coming to the launch of one of the top 30 books of our time, anyway, at least. And here to introduce it <laughs> properly <laughs> is uh, the man we all call... Uh, <laughs> perfect. Mr... Titsperfect? Mr... It's perfect. Fitzherbert, uh, because that is his name. Mr. Fitzherbert, thank you. Thank you, Brenda. Just switch this on. And I gotta say, that was, that was, Renee Zellweger did that. Uh, yeah. Like, she, she has, great comedy timing and i think in this movie but oh, that was sure. my favorite that was she, my f she was phenomenal yes. in that scene she's great if i saw a preview for a movie where she was gonna play a paper bag i would watch it because and i i had a lot of problems with her and the thing about pam not her but like the whole fat suit thing and mm -hmm. man she's she's great yeah i do it i enjoy her very very much um and i think uh, this movie and sort of this franchise, because there are three of them, uh, sort of so far, right? Pigeonholed her, sort of typecast her because she hasn't really done much outside of this since then. And well, of course, she did Jerry Maguire first, right? Like that. She, was, yeah. So that was Bridget Jones. Bridget Jones sort of um, was the follow up to the Jerry Maguire success. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sure. Um, but that yeah, was so like I, I feel the, like she's been, you know, yes. I feel yeah. like she's been like typecast since God. since this multiple sexually harassing bosses. That is such a pigeonhole. <laughs> oh, I just realized that. Yeah. <laughs> it, and you know, we I really wonder how well Jerry Maguire aged because we kind of see we don't see what happened with them as sexual harassment but wow yeah mm -hmm. um you had me hmm. at goodbye you, you had, had me, me at goodbye you had me at hr right when we had you that had meeting. me at this hr complaint right here i'm gonna need you to sign this <laughs> oh gosh Uh, I want to thank Jordan Waggy for joining me to discuss in so much fun Bridget Jones's diary, although the movie is problematic. Uh, 21 years. What are you going to do? Before we do? say goodbye, Jordan, is there anything you'd like to plug? Um, you mentioned an NSF grant. Yeah. Um, the project that I work on, the Collaborative Replications and Education Project, which you are so kind and let me um promote every time i'm mm -hmm. here uh got a $267,000 NSF grant for 3 years to uh, yeah thank you to um evaluate the project and to you know support some of its activities and and add some activities so 
if you're interested in um, learning more about it, please go to uh, ww no sorry osf.io slash wfc6u. That's good. Good old permalinks, am I right? <laughs> it's like it's like a bitly, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, thank you for stopping by, Jordan. It's always so much fun talking to you thank on the you show. Thank you for having me. You bet. That's going to do it for this episode. Until the next one, thanks for listening.